its flow with a super weird word, nightgown. If you ask me, it sounds less like clothes you wear to bed and more like things you say to your clothes. Good night, capri pants, sleep tight sweaters, nightgown. We've got a big day tomorrow. Now a weird word I just made up, flotection. It sounds like great protection for your new home through me and Progressive, and that's because it is. I said good night, capri pants, go to sleep. Save an average of 17% on car insurance when you bundle home and auto through Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you guys for listening to the Backcourt Violation Podcast, otherwise known as the Off Top Podcast, otherwise known as the It's My Team's Fault. That's the reason we're losing podcasts, man. Yeah, no, this has three names to it. It's a very important one, man. So round one is almost wrapped up. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Agent. How y'all doing, man? You know it's me, the main this character. Back say, introduce I meant to, yourself. I meant to say low. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, yo, what up, podcast people? It's the one and only legend of winning, a.k.a. Hey, low. Hey, and this is definitely the podcast that all y'all been waiting for. And on top of that, Giannis lost tonight. So this is definitely the podcast y'all was waiting for. But I knew that was going to happen. So that wasn't even that surprising. But then again, I did also know that Westbrook was going to happen. I mean, I predicted both of those, man. I don't know what to tell you guys. Okay, uh, man, my, my playoff bracket is coming up pretty well. I mean, aside from New Orleans, everything else has been spot on. It's been fantastic. Yo, Lo, I want to talk about probably the most exciting series to start off, man. Uh, Russell Westbrook. So... As as a big three, because that's what these guys were called, especially. We're not going to... Lo, you said you're not going to change the narrative? All right. Paul George shot 40% that series. Westbrook shot 39%. Carmelo Anthony shot 37% across the entire series. So going into the series, the thing I said was, I don't know how consistent the Jazz are going to be able to be on offense. But here's what I know. On defense, they're going to leave this inconsistent OKC team in shambles once they start to play their game. And that's exactly what they did. Here's what we found out. Joe Inglis stepped up. Donovan Mitchell stepped up. Rudy Gobert was playing like an all-star out there. And so we've seen the Utah Jazz close the game out in six, and playoff P, is he disappeared. We don't know if he's going to be there no more. He declined to talk about free agency, and we'll get into that. Low man, I want to see how you're really feeling about this, bro. Here's a team that we expected at the beginning of the season to make it pretty far. Inconsistent all throughout. We thought maybe they'd step up in the playoffs. And although we got some hints of that in game one, everything kind of fell apart. I just, are you are you done? I just want to you. I want you to just get everything out first because because you don't though, man. No, 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 no. no. Well, I know, I know. I do because no, because when I'm I'm about to I'm about to go in, agent. So all I right. need Hold I need on, you man. to Hold get on. done Hold with on. yeah. Don't say what you say. Everything you need to say because there's not going to be any breaks from what I'm about to say. Donovan Mitchell is one of the best rookies we've seen in a very long time. In a very the long ability time. ability to go up against Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, these all-stars, if not superstars, talking about Westbrook, and close out a series? Lo, that is unprecedented. I've never... And, and it's true that even when Rudy Gobert was sitting out, that the team was struggling. And that every time he went back in defensively, it's like they breathed a whole new life. This Jazz team didn't just make it through because OKC was bad. They made it through because they're a really good fucking team. Now, uh, they're playing Houston in the next round. And there's no chance they'll beat Houston, but I think they'll put up a decent fight. 
The Utah Jazz team is something serious. I wish more people would take him seriously. A lot of people are spending more time clowning OKC than crowning the Jazz. And I think that it should be inverted. Put some respect on that team, man. Going into the series, I guess Jazz in six. Jazz won in six. They're the better team. If your name is Paul George, you got to go. If your name is Carmelo Anthony, you got you got to take that $28 million check. And if your name is Westbrook, you got some serious questions to answer about whether you can even be a star in the league, a superstar in the league, without somebody else to back you up named Kevin Durant. There's mm. a lot of questions being asked, man. Mm. Right? I, I was like, here's, here's what I know, though. A lot of people when KD left were, were, were in their bag talking about Westbrook's going to do this and he's mm-hmm. going to do that. And here's what. We had an opportunity for Westbrook to make some noise. He said he was going to shut Rick, Ricky Rubio's shit down. Who, by the way, wasn't playing for a majority of Game 6 because was, was he was hurt. injured. Was hurt. Yeah. Mm. And he's not going to be playing in the next series. That's a whole different topic. But if your name is Westbrook and you... Who, 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 who played? Dante Axum? Closed the game out? At, and Joe Inglis was running point guard? Joe mm. Inglis. Speak, come, right. I, I like it. Go ahead, Lo. What do you have to say, man? Look. Me, um... Let me put my uh, my waffle to the side real quick. Shout out to Waffle yeah. House on on fire. I I like the fact that you kept the details and the context within your your introduction, I guess, into this debate or this not really debate because we both agree on this right here that the Thunder were underwhelming. But before we get into the Thunder, I 100% agree with you. The uh, Jazz, Utah Jazz, amazing. What Quinn Snyder has done as a head coach defensively, how he's implemented a system that is fully functional, um, even at times without Rudy Gobert, but is a fully functional system and they don't heavily depend on one or two players and on an offensive and the way that he's been able to just implement a rookie and just be able to just make a huge shift in their offensive um, game plan, despite the fact that they lost Gordon Hayward. Huge shout outs goes to Quinn Snyder. Like you said. Donovan Mitchell as a rookie to step up the way that he did in a um in a series that was pretty monumental to his career. And I'll, I'll talk about that later on, even with um Giannis as well. And everyone else, like you said, everyone else stepped up on that team. There was moments where Joe Ingles was running point because Ricky Rubio was out in game six and Donovan Mitchell was in foul trouble. So there was moments where jo- Joe Ingles was legitimately bringing the ball up and running point. And, and again, the reason why I'm, I'm saying all of these things is to keep the context that must be had when we're having conversations and even debates eventually about some of these all-time great players. So with that being said, let's talk about the context. Entering this season, there are many people, I, mean, I don't want to make it seem like nobody wasn't thinking that this team was going to struggle, but entering the season, for the most part, many of us assume that you have a team with Carmelo, Russ, PG on the floor with one another, that... They were going to have, I want, I want to say, a significant amount of success. No one think they were going to make it to the finals, but at least compete with some of the top tier teams in the Western Conference. And the reason why we thought this is because if we bring it back a little further in the previous seasons with these teams and the players on their respective teams, they saw some type of struggling due to significant shifts with their organization. Uh, Russell Westbrook lost Kevin Durant, brought in uh, Victor Oladipo, Sabonis. So last year he had the whole narrative that he was carrying a franchise with little to no help, and he averaged triple-doubles. That's the reason why we give him an MVP. Last year, right, 
Paul George on an Indiana Pacer team that saw a lot of significant shifts. Uh, a lot of personnel had moved on the player side. Then they got rid of Frank Vogel. It just wasn't working out. You know, it, PG, he's a good enough player. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. The reason why that team disappoint, played disappointingly in the regular season, I think they were a 41-win team, is not because of PG, but because of the lack of structure at the top from the bottom of the organization. Carmelo Anthony. The lack of success that that team has seen has nothing to do with Carmelo or a little to do with Carmelo because if you have a rookie in Porzingis or a young player in Porzingis, then you have Phil Jackson at the, at the top. We're going to give these players passes. And so you would assume when they got on the team with one another, A, that there would be sacrifices that would be made because I think the one thing that many people as fans of the NBA fail to recognize is that sacrifice is very, very important. That is a very key word when we get to one of these players, trash ass Carmelo Anthony as a spoiler alert. When it comes to sacrifice, we cannot look at numbers because multiple players sacrifice their numbers to better the situation that they're in. So I assumed that Russell Westbrook was intelligent enough, Carmelo was intelligent enough, and so was PG, that they would they were at a point in their career where they would have to sacrifice to make sure that this worked, especially because of the situation that they were all in. PG, free agent next year, Russ coming back, he was still dealing with contract situations, and Carmelo Anthony at the end of his career. And so when they struggled during the regular season, obviously you got to give them some chance, give them opportunity. They continue to struggle. We're going to give them some more chance and opportunity. But then even at the end of the season, Paul George is playing horrific from the field from the last 25 games of the regular season, shooting below 40% from the field, below 35% from behind the arc. Carmelo Anthony was playing horrific as a whole, but you would assume because Carmelo Anthony, we just... Doing, we're just, we've lowered our expectation for Carmelo Anthony so much so that you can be trash on defense. You don't have to pass the ball. Matter of fact, you don't have to rebound. All you have to do is score. And he wasn't doing that either. Matter of fact, we lowered our expectations so far for Carmelo that we said he should come off the bench and he laughed at that. And then when it comes to Russell Westbrook, I guess the narrative still didn't change for Russ, but we all understood the situation that he was in that he needed to win to convince PG to come on that team. However, none of that happened in the regular season. But yet they were still afforded the benefit of the doubt. Because if you have that much firepower on your roster matching up against a team where their second or first best player is a rookie, they don't have enough talented pieces around them to really compete with the talented piece that you have and the playoff experience that is with these players, you would believe that they would win. And again, I get it. Player People like Agent, I guess somewhat of a hot take, if you will said that the Thunder were going to lose this series. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that makes sense. But I I can't, I I have too much respect for players like Russ, PG, and Carmelo for me to go that far. That's not a hot take, my guy. A hot take is something that's unpredictable. Something out of left field. This was based on everything that happened in the regular season. Very predictable. And My guy, you're trash. The most likely outcome. There is no way so, around it. You are trash. I don't know why everybody was. You don't play defense. Keep going two assists throughout the entire series. Every Yo, single time they switched on you, you had no idea where the defensive rotations yeah, were coming from. Too. So you left people wide open or you weren't closing out properly. And then on the offensive end, you are so bad in certain moments that I can clearly say that Derek Favors was just completely outplaying you. And then when it comes to Paul George, 
playoff P. The guy that, for whatever reason, many people kept saying over and over and over again, or he gave himself the responsibility to lock up Donovan Mitchell. However, that didn't happen. And then also, when it comes to the lack of consistency from your play, we're talking about someone who was so inconsistent that ended up the series shooting around 40%, and then in Game 6, when they needed you to play, you were nowhere to be found. But then we go to Russell Westbrook. And this is where things get a little iffy because I know many people, they, they, they don't feel comfortable when I say certain things that I'm about to say about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, a very talented player. However, the lack of basketball IQ, the lack of knowledge and understanding of how Yo, to sacrifice your numbers. Your whole shit crash or was that me? I think it was you who just crashed, but I'm still going. The lack of okay, understanding yeah. the lack of understanding and basketball IQ on Russell Westbrook ends is ridiculous. And people sit here and they cape over and over and over again for Westbrook. But for whatever reason, and I don't know why, people have not yet recognized the way that Westbrook plays. He will never, ever win a championship as the best player on the team doing that. Westbrook is historically inefficient in the postseason and in the regular season. Westbrook turns the ball over at a historic rate for people out there who don't know this. And I know many people don't know this because they've been just going around on Westbrook's nuts about these triple doubles. Westbrook is not even on pace. He actually broke the record for the fastest player to record 3000 turnovers. Yet no one didn't talk about that. No one talked about that. That That is he accomplished that the last game of the regular season. And no one talked about it. You know why? Because we have lowered the bar for Westbrook so far that he can turn over the ball, he can shoot inefficient, he doesn't have to play defense, as long as he finds some way to win, even though those any those inabilities in his game is really what's holding him back from winning, we will allow anything that Westbrook can do. He can he can hog the ball, he can do whatever he wants, because it's always somebody else's fault. But here we are now where Westbrook has had more help than I have ever seen from any all-time great player who has never won a championship. Any, I, I've never seen any all-time great player who's had this much help around him, this much talent around him, and they still have never won. And we're talking not five, not six, not seven. We're talking about 10 years into Westbrook's career. And the lack of development from year to year has plateaued. Who, West, who Russell Westbrook is today is the same player he was three, four years ago. The only difference is that they formulated the offense around him for him to get those triple doubles. And I'm going to tell you right now, that does not mean a thing. Billy Donovan is the worst coach I've probably ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he life. is. I think, in fact, I, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, I don't even know if I want to blame Westbrook as much as I want to blame the coach. Unless Westbrook has input and more input than Billy Donovan in doing his actual job. Because what's apparent more than anything, just by the spread of who's taking what. If, if, if you look at the field goal attempts per game, Russ is shooting 27. Paul George is shooting 20. And Carmelo is shooting uh, 12 in the playoffs. That is an incredibly high usage rate and frequency, frequency of shots going up. Now, whoever is calling the shots on that, and it's probably coach. He got to go because we're playing in an age where it's incredibly apparent. You see it with the Cavs. You're seeing it with the Thunder. That ball movement, spacing, and even if you watch what Houston does and Harden's ability to sacrifice at times, 
even though he'll get his shot attempts up, this the team still moves the ball around, and, and that's the difference. So the, a lot of their open shots come off of assists, and some days the shots are not hitting. But because their offense is a well-oiled machine, even when a few of their top players are playing bad, like they did in the Timberwolves series, then they still win the games. So in this instance, I don't know if it's... Because you look at... Low, if you look at the last game, uh, it was game six. Paul George shot two for 16. And admittedly, they did blow a very obvious call. That even if you watch the reaction, uh, uh, Snyder thought they were going to call as well. Like, there is no reason that that wasn't called. Agreed. And assuming he made his three free throws, it probably, or it might have, it could have been a different outcome. But two for 16, Paul George. Carmelo Anthony, uh, three for seven. And Westbrook was 18 for 43, but he dropped 46 points. And so, understanding... On 43 shots, though. I get that, but that's the way the offense is. And so... A lot of people were tweeting at me saying, yo, if Melo is getting seven points, Paul George is getting five points, Westbrook has a whole 46. It kind of reminded me of the efforts that Kobe used to put up, except in Kobe's day, he would have a triangle he would run with. And so people off the ball would be moving all the time, and they would help create some opportunities that weren't dependent on ISO play every single time. Although if they wanted to, they could set the triangle to run an ISO play and move everybody weak side so that Kobe could put him work in the high post or whatever the case. Well, let me let I, me let me let me stop you there and let me say this. I, I'm I'm I understand what you're saying with the coaching and Billy Donovan is definitely the worst coach in the NBA. Nah, however, no. don't you see because that's a whole different topic. No, nah, it's it's no 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 no. Let me let me everything that I've said so far, people. Let me be clear about what I'm saying. It is a fact. There's no debate about it. It's a fact. Billy Donovan, and the thing that's even crazy about it is that you have coaches in the NBA this year who lost their jobs. That man Earl Watson lost his job three games into the regular season because the Phoenix Suns of all team went 0 for 3. And then the, the organization was like, oh, my God, we can't have him as a coach. And they fired him, but yet Billy Donovan still has his job. Billy Donovan over the last three years, despite the fact that they've had significant changes in their personnel, they went from KD to Serge Ibaka, Victor Oladipo to Sabonis, and now PG and Carmelo Anthony. However, he has not changed anything. It's the same defensive and offensive schemes every single year. And it doesn't work. Doesn't work. He I, made I no alterations. He made no alteration to his coaching style this entire series. Despite the fact after game one, it was clear that the Utah Jazz knew exactly when to anticipate double teams. They knew exactly how they wanted to attack off the pick and roll. And they knew exactly how they wanted to run on the fast breaks. It was so easy for them to pick apart that team defensively that it was embarrassing. Billy Donovan is the worst coach in the NBA. And also as a side note for the, before you go again, for the people out there who sit here and say, Oh, well, Steve Kerr, he's not that good of a coach. Look at, look at all the great players he has on his team. For the people out there who keep saying, Oh, Phil Jackson, he's overrated. Look at all those great players he coached. For the people out there who say, Oh, Popovich, he coached Tim Duncan, Kawhi, <laughs> all, all that. Spare me. Cause you don't know what you're talking about. When it comes to coaching, not only not only are you dealing with great players, but you also have to develop other players as well. You also have to manage egos, and you have to also have to formulate an offense in a defensive scheme that aids everyone on the floor. And if you think it's that easy, look at what Billy Donovan has done over the last three years, 
And you tell me how easy it really is. But Billy Donovan is the worst coach in the NBA. Yeah, me too. I'm surprised. Especially as as quick as they were to... Sam Presti. Because even though I agree with you, some of it has to do with Billy Donovan. The, the problem with the organization is this, really. And this is the this is the part that not too many people really want to admit. Sam Presti has breeded a culture within that organization that allows Westbrook to literally do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Westbrook gets away whatever he wants to because he's the last superstar that they have on that roster. And I use that very, very lightly with Westbrook at this moment. They've ran through Kevin Durant. They've ran through James Harden. They're about to lose Paul George. They're overpaying Carmelo Anthony. They lost Victor Oladipo, Reggie Jackson, Enos Cantor, must I go on. They lost so much talent on that roster that they are forced as a small market to bend at the bend bend at whatever they whatever they have to bend at to make sure that Russell Westbrook feels comfortable. And so if you're Billy Donovan and you say, well, well, well Russ, I, I I need you to I need you to do a little bit more ball movement. I need you to need you to pass the ball a little bit and let somebody else create. Or if you look at Carmelo and was like, Carm- Carmelo, I need you to come off the bench. And they say, fuck you, Billy Donovan. <laughs> Damn. Well, Billy Donovan <laughs> might lose his job. So you know what Billy Donovan is going to do? He's going to do whatever they tell him to do, which is why Billy Donovan is still a bad coach. He has no backbone to tell Carmelo Anthony to come off the bench. But the but the fact that he's allowed that, I believe a lot of it has to do with the fact that Sam Presti has breeded a culture that has allowed uh, that has allowed those players to just say and do whatever they want to, and no one is even challenging them. Which is another reason That's why quick. Kevin Durant left. Kevin Durant openly admitted that it was from the top to the bottom, no one was held accountable. That is something that Sam Presti has allowed. As quick as they were to fire uh, Scott Brooks, I thought that especially with. Uh, the whole departure of KD and the underperformance, regardless of said triple double, that they'll be quicker to make moves and personnel changes when it came to uh, Billy Donovan. Uh, Low, my my shit might cut out if it does, and I don't, I don't really know what the problem is today. Uh, it's for the last day, my internet's just been in and out. Um, anyway, this is what I wanted to say. Uh, Oklahoma City is ranked 28th in assists this year. Good coaches like Dan Tony understand that even if you have an quote-unquote all-time player like Harden, then you still need to have an offense that complements that player if you want to make it to the championship. And so there's a reason why the triangle offense worked with Kobe, and then they picked up players that made sense like Bynum and Powell, or even before that if you want to date to the early 2000 Lakers, is they always had a system that complemented the personnel that they have. I think it speaks to the talent of Kevin Durant. Because if you're running this offense... And it looked as good as it did, offensively speaking, back when they had Kevin Durant and they were making runs deep into the playoffs. And although some years they would fall short and it would be a disappointment, they had years where they made it pretty far and we thought they could take it all the way. And so once he leaves and you lose a significant amount of talent, similar to what's happening in Cleveland with the loss of Kyrie Irving, is now you may not have the talent to run purely off talent, right? And so at that point, you seriously need to consider the possibility of switching up the offense. The Raptors realize that. Kyle, Kyle Lowry and DeRozan, great players. They're all-star players. Great. But when it comes to the playoffs, you're not making noise if you're relying on those two specifically and their talent alone to get you there. And then what that usually ends up resulting in is a player taking 43 shots 
and the team's still losing even though he got 46 points. And so that's when a lot of people will turn to teammates. Now, in this specific circumstance, unlike the Cleveland one, I actually sympathize with uh, Thunder fans because I don't care how garbage an offense might seem or whatever. You don't shoot two for 16, though. That's just, what was it? Was it two for 18? I forgot. I would have to check. Who's on, Melo or PG? Two for 16. Two for 16. Paul George. Yeah. And Melo was so in his head after the first shot was a legit air ball brick. That he only shot seven shots all game, only played 26 minutes, because coach didn't even trust him out there. So, in that and, respect... And, and then also, uh, with the mellow thing. I mean, if you don't take your washed-up ass on the fucking bench, like, the fact that you even sit here But after, who's picking up for him? Is Jeremy Grant going to do that? It can be anybody, Agent. Uh, Carmelo was so trash. He was so trash in the last two games. It was amazing to me that anyone even thought that he... It's amazing to me that he think, he still thinks he's, he could still be a starter. For those out there who don't know, after losing, after they came back and went on that stretch in Game 5 where they, they were able to um, mount that comeback with Carmelo Anthony on the bench, Carmelo Anthony straight up said, I'm not... Come on now. I'm, I'm not... I'm not sacrificing a starting role, right? Am I right, guys? I'm I'm Carmelo Anthony. Nigga, if you don't off yourself and sit your ass down on the bench, Carmelo Anthony, you're not you're not that good of a player. You were never that good of a player, even in your career, for you to really believe that you have this aura around you that uh, you are. When he was in Denver, he was way no, we can't even no, pretend. He was never he was never a player where he has he's sustained this level of excellence where he has his aura around him. Where he's just too good to come off the bench. If D Wade can come off the bench, then you need to come off the bench. I don't know if you yeah. think it's an ego thing that you think if you come off the bench and y'all win a championship that me people but may look at you different. It's a little different the Wade thing. How is it different? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Wade played four years at Marquette. Uh, Carmelo only played one year at Syracuse, right? So Carmelo's a little bit younger. So a lot of the reason Wade sits on the bench is because he can't play much minutes anyway because he's dealing not only with additional three years of age, but also a lot of injuries over the years that are kind of just piled up and are making it very difficult for agent, him to play over 25 agent, minutes. Agent, right now, D-Wade is better than Carmelo Anthony. I agree. I mean, Wade had some pretty awful games no one talked about in the playoffs, but I agree. He's right, never right, played right, right as now, bad D, as this. D-Wade is better than Carmelo Anthony. So the whole age thing has really has nothing to do with age. It's just the fact that Carmelo Anthony, he's just not good enough to start. Low, he shot... A fantastic 21% from three. And and that's not even on like a low frequency of shots. Like he shot a lot of them. And if you watch the games, it wasn't even like it rimmed and went in and out. Yo, some of these were horrible misses, man. Like, and, and the crowd was getting on him when he shot an air ball. If you're an OKC fan, you cringed every time he shot. Kind of like how I cringed when DeRozan shoots because I don't really know if he could still consistently hit those. But just to think about the fact that we're living in a year where DeRozan is not only outperforming Carmelo Anthony from the three-point line, but doing it by over double-digit percentages. Like, it's 10 to 12%. Is insane. And, 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 not, only, um, and not only that, two, well, two things real quick. One, it was almost blasphemous in the beginning of the season when they said that, I think it was ESPN ranked Lonzo over Carmelo. That's not that blasphemous anymore. So that's one. Two... The, the thing that really gets me with Carmelo, and for people out there who really think that I just hate Carmelo, fine. If, if you want to believe that, if you want to think that I just hate Carmelo, that's fine. But can you really blame me? 
I mean, we're talking about a player who has been asked several times through his career to sacrifice, and he's never done it. And it's not like again because he's he ever thinks been, he could be a but top he's not, player but he's on a not, But he's team. not that though. He's not. And you would, and, and you would assume that after years and years and years of disappointment in New York, that when you go to OKC and it's clear as day, you're not the first or second. And in my opinion, he can tell himself this, but this is just a fact. This is, I'm, I'm, let me take that back. Yeah. Not in my opinion, a fact that he's not even better than Steven Adams. And there's nights where he's not even better than Roberson or Grant. But at bare minimum, He's the fourth best player on that team. And the fact that you're at 15 years in your career and the fact that you're at a stage where you have never made the finals and the fact that you are now on a team where there's competent talent around you and all you have to do is score, you would assume that in this situation you would want to make this work. And so if someone told you to come off the bench, you would say, okay, that's that's what I'm going to do because I got to make this work because it's maybe my one and only opportunity to really go hard. And make the finals. I mean, it just shows where the priorities are, though. Maybe he doesn't care about that stuff. Maybe and, he just wants that and, $28 and he, million but, dollar he, check. but here's the even crazier part about it. For you to go out in public and sit there and say, nah, I'm not coming off the bench. Not only do you look crazy, but now the situation in OKC looks crazy. Because if I'm Paul George and I'm like, oh, he's not coming off the bench? Or I'm going to have another season with him starting? You even hurt the chances of Paul George coming back because of your selfish ways. So someone in that organization, like I said before, this is where it goes back to Sam Presti, needs to have the backbone and straight up tell Melo, um, you can come off of the bench or you're going to get waived one or the other. I think there's too much ego on that team for them to even change their offense or make any significant sort of improvements because... I don't think Paul George needs the ball to be effective, but Westbrook and Carmelo do. And if you try to tell Westbrook and Carmelo to take five less field goal attempts per game the way Kyle Lowry and DeRozan did this year, or like KD did when he went to the Golden State Warriors, they would probably lose their minds. Like, why? Why do you think I, why do you think I need, you think the team is better off with me taking less? And then, you know, then you start to create conflict. And the friction begins to drive the team apart. And, lo, there's a very real possibility that this combusts with OKC winning zero championships, which would be tragic considering where they started with, of course, Kevin Durant, Harden, and Russell Westbrook. For that core, and even the way it's branched out to never come out with a championship, would be pathetic. And that that is the reason why Russell Westbrook is not even in the same breath as Curry. Well, they should, I think he's a step below. He's it's like not, it's not a step. It's it's about two to three steps now. It's not even close. Just That's, in terms of efficiency, the te- the players are literally polar opposite. <laughs> Curry it, is the definition of efficiency. And, and I and I would go as far as saying, as of right now, I would rather have Kyrie on my team than Westbrook. Oh, I mean that's yeah, obviously. Come on, man. So, Kyrie actually closes games. So so <laughs> Kyrie's. And, and, and the only reason why I'm saying this is because I, I want to be clear because I want to have context and I'm, I'm really big on, especially because I've, I've been watching this over the last two years now where people have just decided to change history for whatever reason. Westbrook is now at, at a point in his career where he has to find a way for this stuff to work. Because when people look back at his career, and I know this is how people are going to look at it, especially, you know, 
five, 10, 20 years down the line where they don't have the context that we have now, where they're going to sit there and try to make arguments. Oh, well, Westbrook averaged a triple double. So how is he not better than, you know, he's going to make that argument. Whoops. The, the lack of recognition, the lack of, uh, of, of basketball IQ, the lack of efficiency, the amount of turnovers. Westbrook can average a triple double, but I, there's just no way that he can be, he's not in the conversation of being a top five player in the league anymore. Like that, that, that conversation is done. And I don't care I how many MVPs he wins. I don't care what, well, I don't care what statistical feats he has. If you had a point where you can't win with the amount of talent that's been around Westbrook, that, that is just unacceptable. Like there's just no way. I know. It. Were you watching, uh, I believe it was TN or ESPN. Jeff Van Gundy was going in. He was basically making all kinds of jokes about uh, Russell Westbrook and how the media would go crazy the second he got one additional assist to reach a triple-double. And, oh, now he played great. But if he didn't get that assist, then we wouldn't have known it was a great performance. But now that he has the triple-double, well then, this has been a fantastic performance for Russell. And he was going in. He was even making fun of Mark Jackson. He said that Mark Jackson said his dad framed a triple-double that he got against, I forgot who, it might have been the Knicks. And then Jeff Van Gunny was like, he didn't get no triple-double. And his, his dad passed away. So he gave him this trophy. And so Mark Jackson, of course, just on sentimental value, is has has a lot of value towards this framing of his triple-double. And here's Jeff Van Gundy literally clowning around. He didn't get no triple-double. That doesn't mean anything, man. Triple-double, only, only the media cares about the triple-double. And I guess the fans do too because the media wouldn't keep talking about it if people weren't so much retweeting and showing interest and using it as some sort of barometer for performance on the court. Anyway, Lo, I feel like we've been talking about this forever. Uh, Utah's a better team. Long story short, I knew that going into I don't, it. I don't think and Utah's I w- a better team. I just I just feel like... They were. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't feel like they're a better team. I just feel like OKC and their lack of execution was embarrassing. It's, it was just I mean, it was flat out embarrassing. What's up? It's Justin from the Driving Dish NBA podcast. When I was in eighth grade, I switched from wearing glasses to contacts because I liked playing the game of basketball. And ever since then, I've had to deal with getting contacts, which takes way too long. You have to sit in the waiting room for a really long time. It always kind of smells weird in there. That all changed when I found simplecontacts.com. You show them a picture of your prescription. You pick the brand of contacts that you use. You put in your address and they're on their way. And so much cheaper than going to a doctor every single time you need contacts took me about 15 minutes right before i left for work and we're gonna save you 30 dollars off your first order with them at simplecontacts.com slash almighty or use the enter code almighty at checkout that's 30 dollars off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash almighty or enter the code almighty at checkout. Just remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. They only do a test that makes sure your contacts are going to give you 20-20 vision. They don't write completely new RXs or examine eye health. What did you, what did every, I'm so curious what everybody expected. Did they expect them to open playoff P and wait, playoff Westbrook? No, what, still really, the really, same. I'll, I'll say that what I was expecting, and again, shout out to Donovan Mitchell because he was amazing in that series, but I, I really was not expecting Mitchell to play that well. I know, because in the first podcast of the playoffs, I said, I think Donovan Mitchell can play like this for the rest of the series. And Lowe went, oh, no, man. He's that's, still a rookie. I mean, that's what that, I mean, we're talking about nearly 30 points a game, seven rebounds, almost yes. three assists, a steal and a half, 46, 36, 92 splits. That was, that was, and, and, and again, like on the other spectrum, 
when we're talking about Donovan Mitchell moving forward, man, that's that's that 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 right there for him to do what he just did. That is that is a huge notch on his belt legacy wise. Like this will be part of the argument for him moving forward of like why he is such a great player and, and why we have to put him amongst some of the all time greats. Because this to be able to go into your first playoff appearance as a rookie and outperform Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, that's ridiculous. Especially in the fourth quarter, it got really close. And I thought like, yo, uh, well, no, I don't want to. Because, I mean, I'm going to give OKC some credit. Not only did Paul George get fouled and not get his free throws low. The play before, Paul George was in the act of shooting a three-point shot. He got fouled, and they called it on the floor. And although I wanted Utah to win, those were two yeah, that, egregiously I, that was, that was horrible calls. Crazy. That was crazy. That was crazy. And on top of that, there was like six intentional fouls that were missed. I don't know if they wanted someone to get tackled when, when there was like 20 seconds left. But I'm like, yo, they are hitting the other player. Like, I've seen fouls called for way less during like when people are going for intentional fouls. I thought it was crazy that wasn't called either. It was almost as if the refs had an agenda but, but the last on the, but on three the, missed calls. But on the, other, on the other side of it, in game five, I don't know how Rudy Gobert picked up those fouls. Because two of those fouls, they were phantom fouls. I, he, I think it was foul number four. Westbrook was pulling up for a mid-range. And they caught a foul on Gobert and he didn't even touch him. So, they're tic tac fouls. I always say that if you should never even be in a situation like that for it to come down to the referees determining what the outcome of the game is. You should never even be in that situation. But Low, um, but when but when you're trash and you don't execute and you don't play defense because n- none of them really play defense. Russell Westbrook is a terrible defender. He's a terrible defender. Not terrible. No, I no, just no. Think he is, he's a terrible. I think he's defender. uninterested in defending. He's a, he's athletic Which, enough to be a great defender. But but, a, but, but a, just, athleticism does not mean that you're a defender. It's IQ. It's understanding the rotations and it's giving effort. You're I guess in certain certain instances I guess so. You're correct. He has the athletic build and, and ability to be one but he doesn't and that's the problem which is another man it's just so much because i keep hearing people like oh man i guess westbrook is the next iverson no he's worse than iverson iverson did not have mean, bro I, trey burke face <laughs> iverson did not have these physical traits Iverson did not play with these, uh, the, with the amount of talent that Westbrook has played with. And Iverson did not play in an era where they have specifically changed the rules to make it easier for players to score. The amount of spacing that is in the NBA today, the fact that Westbrook is even on the same level of efficiency than Iverson, that's concerning. So no, Westbrook is not Iverson. Iverson was put at a bigger disadvantage than Westbrook has Wait, ever man. been put in. Yep. And the fact that their numbers Especially on the on the efficient side, efficiency side, are that close? That's a testament to how bad Westbrook plays. So no, uh, not well, before we move worse. on from OKC because it's been forty minutes. Uh, yo, do you see the end of the game? Russell Westbrook's heated. I don't even think he went to shake hands because I, I didn't see it. But I, uh, in the back of the camera, I saw him just walking off. He didn't even want to shake a Donovan Mitchell hand at all. Which is also a just re- ridiculous. It, the fact that he didn't shake nobody's hands after he got his ass fucking I mean, handed to that, him. I mean, that, I'm not going to go hard on him for no, that. No, 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 no. You don't, I've, no. Lo, I've lost games uh, in my intramural league where I was like, man, man, fuck that other team, bro. They ain't get none of my respect. And I just left. 
Because, you know, some horrible calls were made and they didn't even know what a backcourt violation was. No. I'm like, yeah, what, what y'all? No, 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 you, you go, anyway, you go to, uh, you, you're a good sports. It's another reason why I just can't fucking stand West. Well, if you, if you talking about, okay, if you no. talking about the fan, so, if you talking about the fan, yeah, that fan is yeah, a bitch. Yeah, yeah, so the, the fan the, that the stuck fan, the camera all up in his face. The fan at the end of the game and the fan at the halftime, bitches. Like, just, you're just a bitch if you do some shit like that. Okay, take this in. Who, who do you think you are? If uh, you fan listening to this right now, sticking a camera in an athlete's face after a heated loss, do you really? In, if you saw Russell Westbrook, he wasn't an NBA player, out on the street, immediately, you know, that's not a guy you want to mess with. Dude is massive. He's built like a tank. And you know he'll run straight through you, especially if you have some sort of confrontation. Lo, I was, I was at the kebab spot uh, yesterday. Some drunk white dude called me the N-word. And there was a couple other black guys there. When I tell you dude was apologizing immediately, because he knew there's some guys you just don't have no confrontations with. And so, in a similar sense, why do people think it's okay to do that to athletes? Why don't because people they, treat they, athletes like human beings? Because they know beings? there's no repercussions behind it, that's why. People treat athletes like props, like these things that are just there for our entertainment that don't actually have a soul, life potential feelings and that every time you say something or do something as stupid as what that fan did is like after a loss where you knew you weren't supposed to lose where you know everybody's gonna be on you on podcasts and on tv criticizing you rightly so you're gonna be heated so i get if you don't want to shake hands but no you, it, it's no, not no, no the, you shake hands don't be a uh, no, 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 no. you don't have to I, mean, yes, I get yes, that you do you have to yes you, you do. don't have to shake hands yes, you, what how's that yes, a you do yes you do you have to shake hands listen if i'm if i lose in a game that i was supposed to win and it was on an embarrassing level and you know what he probably felt like he did everything he could and he was hitting some contested three-point shots late to keep his team in it like I would, I, no, you, you start you, to shake hands. No, you, and, you, you respect the game, and you go over to the the man that beat you, and you shake his hand and say, "Good game," and you keep him moving. Nah, nah, that's not gonna happen. And sometimes, you know, there's emotional athletes like Russell Westbrook. Anyway, I just thought it was crazy that I saw some people defending the guy with the camera, like, "But you're NBA player. You're just supposed to be used to it." And I'm like, "No, you're used to being recorded." But you have your own personal space that you can't just allow anybody to intrude in, especially some random white Oklahoma, I mean, not an Oklahoma City fan, a Utah Jazz fan. And actually, after, I don't know if you watched the post-game uh, uh, press conference. Was it press conference? What did they call yeah, it? Yeah, press conference, yeah. Post-game press conference. He said, and he was actually uh, really mad. He's like, the city of Utah was so disrespectful, volatile, and toxic, and he kept bringing up Utah, Utah. This is specifically a Utah problem. And I don't know if it is or he was just making stuff up. He said that people were attacking his family, his daughter, uh, himself, of course, his basketball abilities. And we've obviously, I don't know if you know, but I've heard some crazy things in arenas uh, just off mic players or whatever the case on YouTube and stuff. So I don't doubt it, but I also don't think Utah is the only place where that happens. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, anyway. yeah, fans get out of control. They, y'all need to chill out. But Westbrook needs to, he needs to shake their hands, bro. I hope he could bounce back, man. Part of me is a little happy that OKC fans are just humbling themselves a little bit because they were incredibly toxic oh, oh, this, throughout oh, this the year. What, this, I do want to say this before we keep we going. For the people out there who saying that Westbrook needs a better coach, or it was a coaching problem. I agree. He, he he does need a better coaching, and it is a coaching problem. However, and the same thing I say about LeBron as well. If he gets a coach, y'all need to recognize and understand 
that the arguments that y'all have been making over the last two or three years to why he's as good or the com- the conversation between him and Curry is a legitimate argument because of numbers, because of the stats that they post up. If he's on a team with a great coach or a competent coach, he, excuse me, he would have to take, he would sacrifice the numbers that he had. There's no way that he would not sacrifice his numbers because the way that the system that the great coach would implement, it would force him to change his game and he would force to sacrifice his numbers. Yeah, like uh, Phil Jackson and Kobe and even MJ, you know how much conflicts they had that eventually went public because Kobe thought one thing. But Phil Jackson, like you got to respect the guy and he says something else. And so the difference in opinion usually presented conflict. But in, in a lot of instances, like when LeBron with Ty Lue or even Billy Donovan with Russ, it's almost like Russ has so much power that sometimes he just says something and it goes. And Billy Donovan's um, like, yes, master, yes. <laughs> no fucking All backbone. right, we'll get off, we'll no, get off no, this No backbone, Jesus. Uh, I want to I wanna talk about this Celtics series for a little bit. The, the series just ended. Of course, the Celtics won. Honestly, I was surprised the Bucks even pushed it that far because I'm 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 not just saying this. They've been like to be mean, but they're a pretty bad team. In fact, they're not even a playoff worthy team. Only reason they made it is because again the Eastern Conference is weak. Uh, the disparity of talent is crazy. To not have Marcus Smart for most of the series, to not have Kyrie and Hayward, and to be just pummeling this team. And, it, and you know they've still, had good moments. Moves. That's I don't, I don't I made I made a, I made a comment on Twitter about like how that's this series this series is definitely going to be like um a legacy altering series for Giannis. I don't know how people don't really nah, think that's going to happen. But he's I mean he's too like come on yo that's that's a little too far. I I will give him this since they fired coach midseason with a training camp under their belt with I'm hoping roster changes to help build a system around Giannis cuz if they fail to do that this year, then we could start talking about that. I don't think that the Bucks issues start with Giannis. I think it starts as an organizational oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. issue. I, I agree. It definitely is an organizational issue because they have the talent. They have the talent on their roster. They have the star athlete. That 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 part I'm not I'm not debating. The only part of Giannis that I'm debating is is a when people are like okay I'm not necessarily saying you do this but like I sit here and I see. Like LeBron fans go in on Jordan, and they, they bring up the fact that Jordan didn't win, you know, in his first three years in the playoffs, right? That they always got swept or knocked out in the first round, which is true. So if, if that is the case, if that's something that's a blemish on Jordan's resume, this series is going to be a blemish on Giannis's resume as well. And even though it may be a small blemish, it's not that big. It's still it's still legacy altering to an extent. And if he keeps having blemishes like this, the player that I think we all believe he can be, which is top 30, top 20 all time, right? If he keeps having those blemishes, it's going to be harder to make those type of arguments to why he is one of those players. And I think that that was more so what I was saying when it's a it's a legacy altering um, loss. The same way that, like, for example, when Dirk in the early stage of his career, how he kept losing in the playoffs and even when he made it to the finals, he underperformed and how even though he had all the numbers, the accolades, the even the regular season success to put him in the conversation to be top 20 or 30, people didn't really push him over the top until 2011. Giannis could be in the same boat where, I mean, I, and I don't really think the East is going to get weaker, so I don't know how Giannis is going to make it out the East anytime soon, but Giannis is... I do. 
for whatever reason, stars hate to come to the East. They only leave to go to the West. So I wouldn't be surprised if it just continues to get weaker. Uh, I don't know. Some, some like I don't know. I, I don't see how Milwaukee's beating Philly, and I don't know how Milwaukee's going to beat um Boston moving forward. How are they beating Boston? I don't. I don't know. But I do know the team. Like there were some highlights. Definitely shout out to Chris Middleton who got off to a really weak start in Game Seven, but. Throughout the series, has just been hitting shots and performing. Even late game, he made a couple big shots to keep the team relatively in it uh, before Terry Ozier and everyone just destroyed it. Uh, it's just, I mean, just real is real, man. They, Giannis has to develop a three-point shot. Well, although the 76ers get away with it with Ben Simmons, I, the Bucks and the offense they run, it just doesn't work. There's so many times where they sagged so low on Giannis, and he was still second-guessing whether to shoot. And then if I'm his teammate, I'm thinking, damn it, man. Because every time you run a pick and roll, if they can sag, then it makes it easy to play you, of course. So you make himself such a more dynamic player if early on in his career he could develop a shot. I'm hoping, of course, he's going to be talking to the best shooting coaches in the world. I don't doubt that he will be able to sometime soon. But it has to hurry up, man, because we could talk about the coaching and the left and the right. But if he could just shoot at like 33 or 34%. From three, consistently, not on wide open threes, on threes across across the board, on all kinds of difficulties, then it would it would open up the door so much more. Not now that uh, he has to, he, his basketball IQ has to start. He has to start rising a little bit. He has to start acknowledging and recognizing defensive schemes. He has to start understanding how the spacing is. And like you said, if he can't shoot, how the spacing is um, being altered. Because there was so many times in Game Seven where. They forced him to go left, or he's on the left wing, and that, and that's definitely a Joe um, Punty um, problem as well. Like the fact that he couldn't organize some type of offense that started at the top of the key, but it was very obvious that Boston wanted to force Chris Middleton and Giannis to the baseline, and then make them make a play as the baseline being the second defender, and then seal off the middle. And there was just so many times where Giannis was trying to get to the, he was trying to get to the um rack, and they were forcing a baseline made poor decisions and bad shots and because he's not going to pull he's not going to um drive and then pull up for a shot it was very obvious that he was trying to get to the rim and then when he tried to go middle they immediately double teamed or when he tried to um post up they double teamed him or even sometimes they just set a charge and it, it was it was it was so routine and, and I watched that game I watched a little bit of the first half but game seven I watched the complete second half of it and it was just routine Giannis just kept falling into the same traps over and over and over again. And it was like, that that's what they want you to do. That's exactly what they want you to do. He had some pretty bad luck. And in the first half, he literally tipped in the ball into his own net. There was, there was times where there was definitely some hand-checking. I feel like they don't call everything for Giannis all the time. This, I've, I've noticed a trend in the NBA low where jump shooters are falling on the floor after their shots a lot more uh, to get that three-point and one call. And it's working. I've been seeing it happen in that series. It happened a lot in the Raptors series. Russell Westbrook's been doing it a lot, too. And it might be the new move, man. Just flop after your three-point shot. But, hey, uh, I didn't expect much more from the Bucks. I'm hoping with next season things will improve. And I think if they do lose and have a bad next season, then I might become a little bit more critical. But uh, at this point, I'm not going to make any judgments or anything on the team as of yet. I'll give him another year, you know, Jabari to get his legs underneath him, some rest. He played decent throughout the series, although, you know, assuming the expectations everybody have for Jabari, 
I was thinking like when Giannis is off, Jabari needs to take off. But it seems like everybody's kind of lowered their expectations, almost like after Grant Hill went through all those injuries. Um, I don't. Anyway, I don't. We'll I, don't I don't think they should. We're, before we move on, I don't. No, they should. They should. I don't, I don't think. I'm just talking for their team as a whole, not necessarily Jabari. I don't. Oh, I don't. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't think they should because when it comes to Giannis, he's a very talented player. And, and another reason why I was pointing out the whole legacy altering is that because there's so many players who have entered the NBA after Giannis who have ha- who are having more success than Giannis. I'm, it's just going to be harder for people to make arguments that Giannis is one of the elite level players. Not to say that he, he isn't, but where he stands in the hierarchy of players, man, it's going to be hard for people to really say that he's better than Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. Or I would even go, not even go as far. I think I think it's not even that far fetched to say that he's better than um, Donovan Mitchell. And these players are entering the NBA in their first year or two possibly three years and they're already playing at least around the same level that Giannis is playing in. And then you have um, Jason Tatum and Jason and Jalen Brown, depending on what they may be able to bring to the floor. And then more young players are entering the draft this year as well. So there's young players who are entering the NBA who are exceeding expectations and are already playing at an all-star level. It took Giannis a while to get to, uh, not, not a while, it took him like five years, right? It took Giannis five years to get here. Players are doing it within their first year or two. And so where they're going to be in, in their next five years or within their five first five years in the league, it's going to Giannis is perce- the perception of Giannis. I can see easily changing, especially if he doesn't get a proper coach and he doesn't add that jump shot to his game. Same same thing goes for Towns and Wiggins as well. Same thing goes for those two players, especially Man, especially Wiggins. Been a minute since I heard those names, especially especially <laughs> Wiggins, especially Wiggins. All right. I want to talk about my Raptors, man. I don't think we, we had the really got to talk they, about this, man. Like, I don't, I yeah, don't really I don't, gotta talk about them, man. I don't want to talk about you know how much Raptors, you know how much smack man. people talk to me on Twitter every time the Raptors lose. Yo, I haven't heard a peep, man. In fact, the only thing I have been hearing is everybody went from bro, the Wizards gonna close the Raptors out, Raptors ass to what did you expect? They were one seed team. I'm like you, you said it, you said they were gonna lose. You know, you know, so me, you know how many times I heard, yo, the Wizards they're not they're not a real eighth seed. <laughs> I don't know. People, people are so willing to just lie about their previous statements and expectations for a team, just so they don't have to take the, just the bludgeoning, the bludgeoning truth that maybe the, the Raptors are an actually good team. So here's what happened: if you if you didn't watch the games, Game Five and Game Six, it was actually really tight games throughout. But in the fourth quarter of both those games, about six minutes in, the Raptors did what they've been doing all season long, and that's they turned it up and closed it out, and they went on runs. And in game three, they they lost the game. And I was worried, but I wasn't worried because they were still playing like they did throughout the season. They just weren't making shots. In game four is when I got worried because not only did they just lose back-to-back, which the Raptors don't do a lot at all, especially to a team like the Wizards, but they were playing like their old selves, the team that couldn't compete, that couldn't close out. And it was very disappointing because, and I heard Charles Barkley say this as well, as it felt like they were reverting in the last six minutes to their old ISO style of play. So the, the ball that they've been playing all game and all season long goes out the window. So game five and game six come around. They do their thing. They close the series out. More interestingly enough, Flo, in game six, Van Fleet came back. And on the last podcast, you said, oh, but don't pretend like Van Fleet's the reason why. Lo, 
No, when I, I tell no, you, man, I, I, makes... said, I said don't don't use friend, um, Van Vliet as a, is a, an excuse to why y'all might lose. No, a it wasn't. No, but you were saying you were trying to say that to minimize his potential impact. No, I'm, here's what, what I'm saying. saying no, what I'm saying is y'all should be good enough to beat the AC the team. Obviously, without, that's what obviously I, that's what I was saying. But just speaking in terms of the Raptor personnel, Van Fleet shoots 41 percent from the three point line. Not only that, but Van Fleet usually runs the offense. So it's a weird dynamic. Kyle Lowry is a starting point guard. But they have two really good backup point guards. DeLon Wright is usually the defensive one. And Van Fleet is usually the offensive one. And so when the offense is running low, usually Van Fleet's the guy who sparks it up. Uh, Ironically enough, even though Van Fleet was playing, DeLon Wright getting steals and picking the pocket of the offensive players is what kind of sparked the run for the Raptors to close it out. But more interestingly enough, at the end of Game 4, when the Wizards won their second game and it was tied 2-2, Kelly Oubre was talking smack about DeLon Wright. He, he basically said that uh, DeLon... This was actually after Game 5. He basically said DeLon Wright doesn't play well away on the road. He only plays well when he's at home. And so Game 6 is on our territory. Therefore, we're going to destroy... He was basically talking smack. Not only did Kelly Oubre play horrible that game, but... In the last two seconds, Kelly Oubre could have held on to the ball, but he decided to go up for a shot. And when I tell you DeLon Wright blocked the living soul out of that shot, in the most embarrassing sequence of events, he talks smack, and then not only plays horribly, but DeLon Wright is the reason the Raptors ran away with the lead, and then he gets blocked on top of it. Kelly Oubre deserves to be donkey of the day, man, because I was thinking to myself, if you're going to talk smack, if you're going to call yourself playoff P, you've got to be able to back it up. And uh, we didn't talk about uh, Eric Bledsoe saying, uh, who was it, Terry Rozier, who? And then the whole time, the crowd was clowning Eric and then, Bledsoe And then saying, it proceeded Bledsoe, to who? get outplayed by Terry Rozier. Yeah, exactly. Stupid, so, that's, this is just a PSA. NBA players, if you're going to talk smack, it's going to be entertaining. But when you eventually get dropped off, I don't want to talk about it. All right, so just make sure you back it up with some play. Uh, and then nobody can say anything, man. You know, if you talk smack and you back it up, at that point, you're just a legend. That's like Conor McGregor, Muhammad Ali, uh, Kobe Bryant, even LeBron James, man. Even LeBron James. So, uh, Lo, what, what are your thoughts? I didn't, I didn't get a chance to hear uh, what you think about the, the series, man. I mean, I, I mean, I had the, I had the Raptors winning, so it wasn't like that was a big surprise to me. Um, there was moments where it was, it was kind of concerning, like you said earlier, about how. They kind of went back into their old habits, but th- that's something that a lot of teams do. Uh, you just got to be able to find a way to kind of shift out of that. And I, I believe your y'all bench does a really good job of aiding that process. When Lowry or Demar goes on the bench, it forces the other yeah. one to play within the unit because they can't, you know, heavily rely on the other to ISO. So um, I do like that. Um, the defense was really, really good, and um, yeah, I mean. I mean, for the most part, I, I don't. I didn't really mind anything from y'all. The Wizards, though, in go ahead, go in game six, slow. Uh, Lowry and Drozen didn't come in until the six minute mark in the fourth quarter. Not only that, but the bench outperformed the Wizards starters fifteen to seven during that time span. And so, I think part of the reason why they were able to close out was uh, Dero- uh, John Wall and Beal looked gassed. And Beal, by the way, was. Phenomenal. I even tweeted, dude is a top five shooter in the league. He was lights out money. He's been doing it all season. But John Wall looked gas. And so here come in a fresh Lowry and DeRozan. And then they just begin to drop all kinds of buckets. 
Man, that bench was nice. Oh, my well, God. But, but that's, well, that's bench, part of the man. reason why I, that style of play, I'm just not a fan of it. And that's the reason why any team who, who attempts to utilize heavy isolation or heavy ball dominance from an individual, you just make it extremely hard for that player to be efficient and effective late in games because you've just demanded so much out of them throughout the entire game. So um, that, that is something they, they have to change with Washington. And I'm just, I'm not going to be a sucker for what I see out of Washington until I see a lot of changes in their offenses. Um, John Wall has to be a much more effective player off ball. He has to be um, more dynamic when it comes to, catch and shooting and being able to uh, have some dribble penetration but Scott Brooks also has to allow himself to open up his playbook into other realms outside of John Wall pick and roll with Martian Gortat like you said Bradley Bill was a really good shooter and um, I think Otto Porter had his moments and he was up and down throughout their series but I think Otto Porter is still a solid player as well and um, they got to get rid of Martian Gortat though. I think that's I think that's safe to say and I think that's fairly obvious but I also still believe that um, I, I just believe that Scott, Scotty Brooks has to he has to change some of his offensive pieces and I didn't and, and I didn't see Otto Porter all game. I don't know if he's injured or something. Oh no, I, I was just talking about the series. I thought the series he was okay. He had moments he was up and down, and I think they have I think they have a solid bench as well. I think Kelly Oubre coming off the bench is fine. I didn't think Ty, Ty Lawson he had moments not not consistently, but you know I, I just I don't think that that team is that bad. I just think they have to readjust the way they. Um, the way the way they look at their offense, I think I think they're that bad. Just to put it in context, Bradley Beal played forty three minutes. John Wall played forty minutes. DeRozan and Lowry, thirty two minutes. But see, but that, but that's that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I, I think that if if, but they just don't have enough depth to do what the but Raptors. See, I did. don't think they do. I think I think that a lot of the depth from the from the Raptors, not too many play, people knew about them until they started to progress as individuals. But a lot of that just has to do with the fact that. Uh, and this is not like to undermine what they did or anything like that, because I definitely don't want to do that. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that Dwayne Casey implemented them in the offense. And it wasn't just like on some, all right, Mike Scott, you're coming off the bench, just stand in the corner and John Wall will eventually find you. Like if that's if that's how you're running your offense, then, yeah, it, it may come across like some of these players may not know what they're doing. But some of those players might actually be quality players and you don't know it until you get them involved, get them involved with the offense and evolve John Wall as an individual and have them move off ball a little bit more. Cause I think, I think Bradley Bill can create. I think Otto Porter can create. I think they have enough pieces on the team. It's just that they become stagnant because of the offense that they run. And I think that's the problem with them. But they also got to get rid of Marsha Quartan because, um, there was moments in that, dude, there, there was moments, there was why. moments in that, in that series where I was like, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta go cause. Uh, so the last the last point I want to make on top of wow I just noticed Delon Wright had four steals. Uh, the difference between game three and four I think was Jonas Valanciunas who for the first time in months played in the fourth quarter of a game in game five. He played fantastic his offensive ability and just rebounding low. The Raptors were out rebounded by over twenty rebounds. So I I believe uh, in the middle of the fourth quarter the Wizards had forty and the Raptors had twenty. You know, they brought Jonas Valanciunas back in. And all of that changed. And I in the next game, Valanciunas was playing throughout, and they out-rebounded the Wizards. And so, I don't know, man, but Dwayne Casey might have just figured it out because 
He usually hasn't been comfortable playing Jonas at the spot in the fourth just because of his lack of defense. He might put in Lucas Naguera for a bit, although that didn't work after a couple games. But usually it'd be Pertolog in the minutes, or they would stretch and put Serge Ibaka, who hasn't been really playing well after the first couple games. And so, interestingly enough, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has slid into the spot. Uh, the first game had 14 points and 13 rebounds, and then on game six, he had uh, 14 points and 12 rebounds. He's been playing great. Anyway, shout out to my Raptors. They close it out. Interestingly enough, because the Cavaliers dropped to, I believe, the fourth seed, right? Uh, they Whoever wins the, the Pacers-Cleveland series, who we're about to talk about in a second, is playing the Raptors. And that's going to be a very interesting matchup. I look forward to seeing that. Uh, and let's segue on to that exact matchup. Lo, uh, I just want to say... Once again, man. Once again, I just want to say it. I told you so. And that's that's to you. That's to everyone watching. Because as ludicrous as that's, it that's seemed a, that's for anybody that wasn't a Pacers a fan. I, I said Cavs in seven. I said Pacers aren't a joke. You got to take them seriously. But I do think the Cavaliers will close out. Cavaliers right now low are the lowest rated offense of any playoff team. Not only that, but we know, of course, throughout the season that them defensively, they've been having a lot of issues. So although LeBron was able to Kobe that shit, Michael Jordan that shit, he was able to Superman that shit and find a way to win game five on the most heroic of efforts. That was a fantastic game to watch. Uh, he wasn't able to do anything when he came to Game 6. He got exactly blown out. Luckily, they have it back at home for Game 7. They're looking to close out the Pacers low. What do you think is going to happen? Who do you have winning? I'm still going to go with my pick. It's just going to be in different games. I'm going to go with the Cavs, but I, I'm not going to lie, man. If Victor Oladipo is feeling it, that might be it for the Cavs. And um, if that's it for the Cavs, we're definitely going to have to have a conversation about LeBron because... Um, <laughs> It's not, and it's not for people out there who are gonna be like, oh my god, here go low again. It's not gonna be like a, a real crazy. It's not even really gonna be a, a talk about LeBron. It's gonna be a talk about like the fans of LeBron, because for I agree with that. For what I've heard, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, agent. If I say something that you didn't hear, but let me, I, I'll just. This is what I've heard. This is this is what I've heard about LeBron and in the fans that he has. Apparently, legend has it. That you can put LeBron on any team in the East and they gonna make the finals. Have you not heard that before? <laughs> that might have been the first time I heard that. I don't know. That's that's new to me. I've I've heard that you can put them on the Brooklyn Nets. I've heard that you can put them on the uh, the Orlando Magic because he's he carried the worst. Remember the team he carried in like '06. Remember that? Yeah, about like a, a decade ago. It. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I know people act like that. Yeah, just so happened if he last did it year. then, he could do it now. Yeah, I, right? exactly. Yeah. I agree with that statement. That's true. So, you know, out of nowhere, you know, he could still carry teams the way that he's been doing, right? Because he's been carrying teams his entire career. It's not like he had... But what if, what if he just has horrible teammates? What if, what if like, they were good on their previous teams, but when they started to play with him, they played worse? And so what if they're horrible role players now, and even Kevin Love is a 70 overall, no-life brown shirt? So What if that's so the you're case? Telling me, like, you're telling me do? a player like, for example, Jay Crowder, who was really good uh-huh. in Boston, all of a sudden is bad in Cleveland. No, nah, they ain't got nothing to do with LeBron. I mean, come but on, come on. But then when he left, they ain't got nothing to do with LeBron. He was a difference maker in Utah? That, come that's on, that ain't got nothing to do with LeBron. They ain't got nothing to do with LeBron. Come on, yeah, cut, yeah, cut it yeah, out, no, cut it right. out. They ain't got nothing to do with LeBron. Oh, yeah. So you're telling me George Hill mm-hmm. competed with LeBron when he was on the Pacers, 
and did a fantastic job demonstrating he was one of the best 3 and D players. Even through his injuries with Utah, had an efficient season. But now I was playing. Why is he playing with the Cavs and he's playing bad? It's, it might have... This, there might be something wrong, though. Or maybe that Rodney Hood has been a great scorer. I, I was about to say, th- say that, like, you're, that, you're telling me that Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson are coming off the bench and they were starter caliber or receiving 26 plus minutes with their previous teams. And even. But they're garbage role players. But, but now. even, That's but what even I wanted when, to tell but you. even when they got to Cleveland, how so many LeBron fans were like, oh, he finally has help. But now they're trash. That, that can't, no, that can't be, no, no. It'd be crazy if it was. And and the truth is 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 this, all right? I okay, I'm gonna mince my words. A lot of people think I, I hate LeBron for some reason. LeBron is a fantastic player, but a lot like Westbrook, he's playing in a system that doesn't benefit his team, but it benefits him. LeBron almost puts himself in situations where he has to carry because of the system that the team runs. A lot like Westbrook. And unlike Westbrook, though, the very big difference is Westbrook literally doesn't have depth. And so outside of Paul George, Melo, of course, Roberson's been out. I mean, Steven Adams, like you start to really you have to think like, who, who else do they have oh, the that can perform on cut, a consistent? Cut the cap, cut the cap. No, no, no. Get, this is real. Get, get, to, get, to, get, to, get to what you're saying. Get, get to what you're saying because I'm not. The Cavaliers have Kyle Korver, one of the best off ball, off ball. His off ball movement is one of the best in the NBA. He's a fantastic three-point shooter. But every every time you'd ask a LeBron fan, they would tell you, oh, no, but Kyle Corbett's not even shooting well. And then uh, Jordan Clarkson, oh, he's garbage. Larry Nance is barely even getting minutes. That guy sucks. And Kevin Love, even though he saved, he almost saved the team, low in that three-pointer that he picked off of a LeBron air ball. He got that, dropped the bucket, but they would never, they would never ever consider his efforts. They do, and this is only LeBron fans. This is not Cavalier fans. LeBron fans. Do everything in their power to discredit every player on the Cavaliers except LeBron so they could big him up. So that after the game, when LeBron has a fantastic performance, instead of just recognizing his greatness, that well, he is one of the greatest, player, greatest players of all time, they begin to go, see, that's why he's better than Jordan. So that they could have more ammo for their arguments that they're trying to instigate. And it is probably one of the most frustrating things ever. Because a LeBron fan, low would try to convince me that Sabonis, that Sabonis, low and Darren Collison are all-time players. I literally had people tell me, it's not Cav fans. There is a difference between a Cav fan and a LeBron fan. A LeBron fan is someone that, regardless of fact or proof, just follows LeBron everywhere he goes. Cavalier fans are team fans of the team as a whole. They were trying to tell me that the Pacers had a better team than the Cavaliers, and I began to lose it, Lo. The Pacer team, this the team, Lo? Do we, do we need a re... We need a... Let's set, the, let's set the stage. This is the context. The Pacers team was predicted to have around 30 wins. Oladipo played point guard for the Magic before he got relegated to shooting guard. He got traded to the Thunder. Even the Thunder didn't want him. They moved him away from next to... Uh, well, at the time, it felt like it was the unbalanced trade and even the people in Indiana were disappointed they lost Paul George for what just Oladipo 
This is that team. This is that team where Miles Turner refused for the last two years to take a meaningful step in his career. Where, I mean, they did get decent players like Bogdanovich who could shoot the three-point shot. But he's not no Kyle Korver or Ray Allen. He's not no all-time three-point shooter. He's just a shooter, maybe like a Steve Novak type player. This is the Pacer team nobody expected to make the playoffs, let alone contend with the Cavaliers in the playoffs in Game 7. So if you're trying to convince me that the Pacers have a better team on paper, you are out of your mind. Not, not, right? not, only, this that, is the reality. not only that, Sabonis, who's in his second year, last year was, like, and it was obvious because Billy Donovan is yet again, you know, the worst coach in the NBA. But, like, Sabonis' is second year in the NBA, he's putting up 13 points. Lance Stevenson, just for, the, like, the past two or three years before he went back to Indiana, was bouncing around the league. No one didn't... Playing horribly, let me yeah, add. Yeah, no, play, playing horribly. And no one didn't want players like Thad Young, Darren Collinson, and people might want Corey Joe, but, I mean, he he's not really even playing that well either. And, and let's also keep it a buck. It's not like even, like, Oladipo is playing like that that great. Like he's shooting great from behind the arc. I mean, he he he, he, he has, is, but he he's has, not the only he reason. Has, he has, he's up and down. Like he'll have he'll have like a, a good game and then for the next two he'll be struggling significantly. He'll have another game and I'll even give him credit. That last game he he altered his the way that he anticipates the um, the double team. He accepted the double team. He was patient, looked for the pass. Why do they still double team? Him? I don't I'm I don't, so I don't know I don't know why. I'm not going to lie and I'm, I I I do want to say this. It is amazing to me, though, that the Cavs, and, the, and this is why Ty Lue is, is in the running, but I, I guess he gets away with it. But the Cavs' defensive schemes, they haven't changed. It's literally double team off the pick and roll when they were, when they, when they face teams like the Raptors, Indiana last year, Indiana this year, and then double team in the post as well off the weak side or the blind side or whatever you want to call it. And then, and then try to force a turnover and then execute on the rotations. The problem with that is, like we saw with that, that game where Bajanovic went off, sometimes their rotations are just completely off. And then even that last game, Oladipo was extremely patient and baited them into a double team. And he just found the open man and they made the right decisions moving forward. Things like that is, is why I, I'm, I'm really questioning if they're going to be able to win this series. However, the reason why I think Ty Lue is a better coach also than Billy Donovan is because he makes adjustments and Billy Donovan, he just doesn't make adjustments. So Ty Lue making adjustments is, is probably the biggest reason why I'm, I'm leaning towards the Cavs winning. But another thing before we kind of wrap this up to LeBron fans, this is, this is probably my biggest gripe with LeBron fans is that they have ironically enough become the one thing that they hate. And that is irrational Michael Jordan fans. And in a sense of, LeBron fans hate it when people sit here and say, oh, you know, LeBron won. I mean, Michael won six for six and he has six championships. He never lost. And LeBron has lost and and yada, yada, yada. Right. And immediately what people sit here and try to say is, oh, well, that that's a team accomplishment. So that's not really that important. Like all that, all that stuff is team stuff. That's team oriented. We talk about individuals, but then turn around and sit there and say that. LeBron is good enough to carry a bum-ass team like we're watching right now to the finals or carry a Brooklyn Nets team to the finals because it's LeBron. Like, you're literally making the exact same argument that the Michael Jordan fans make, but you're just making it for LeBron and come to find out he can't do it because for the last, like, five, six years of his career, 
he's oh, really seven, really seven years of his career. He's had significant help around him with Kyrie Irving, D Wade, Chris Bosh, and Kevin Love. I I put out a tweet, Low. I said I cannot believe people with functioning brains are trying to argue the Pacers have a better team than the Cavs on paper. Somebody replied, and it's almost like the picture perfect reply. He said. They don't understand the difference between being outplayed by a team and having a worse team. Cavs are simply being outplayed. If you were a GM and all the and all players on both teams were free agents, you'd still have most Cav players higher on your priority list. And that's just the biggest fact of all. Don't don't forget that just because the players are performing bad on this team, that before they landed on this team, a majority of these guys were either high potential, decent potential, or all around, like, just overall great players that could start on a lot of different teams. You're not going to convince me if Sabonis was on the Cavaliers, they would have won instead of Rodney Hood. You just won't. Like, that's a ridiculous argument to make. And it's, it's so infuriating that I'll watch LeBron play, and he'll do an exciting play, and I will just want to appreciate it. Instead of beginning to compare him to different eras and where he ranks on this list or that list or what this means for his career or his legacy, I'm just enjoying basketball watching him play. The same way I enjoy basketball watching all the other all-time greats play. Because the performance he had in Game 5 was nothing short of outstanding. And the fact that we can't just sit back, enjoy it, and let it be without beginning to argue all these ridiculous out-of-context arguments for why you what you believe is true and what other people believe is false is crazy to me. Let it go, guys. The Cavaliers have a fantastic team on paper. The fact that they can't win is, is I think, is a series of issues that, that lend itself to this specific problem. And you're not going to convince me one of the issues is they don't have enough talent. That is ludicrous. That's all I want to say. Uh, I do think the Cavaliers are still going to win it. Of course, I think it would be more interesting if things were different in the playoffs and we, the Pacer team made it to the next round. But uh, the Cavs are playing at home. And that is going to be, although the Pacers did win at the Cavs' home, it's going to be very difficult for them to overcome that. And assuming, of course, the Cavaliers don't have back-to-back horrible performances and they get some sort of meaningful offense going, uh, Oladipo and the, the Pacers are going to have to come with their A game, bro. If they don't, it's not going to look now fun. I'm not, now, and, now I'm going to say this, too, now. We're going to see Game 7 LeBron, so that's going to be interesting. And we're going to see... Well, like you said, Oladipo. In my opinion, it's not like significantly changing their legacy, at least for LeBron. But if Oladipo can go on that Indiana Pacers team and lead them over a team led led by LeBron, bro, there's no way. There's no way. Like I'm, I'm going to be on Oladipo's dick for the rest of the summer. Like that's just a fact. Whoa, that's a fact. That's a fact. That's a fact. That's pause. That's what that is, man. That's a fact, though. I'm going to be on his nuts for the rest of the Okay, okay, okay. Stop saying, yo, relax, man. It's making me uncomfortable. But also, real quick, too, Uh, for all the LeBron fans who sit here and be like, make these arguments of, oh, LeBron has never lost in the first round. You better hope. You better (laughs) hope he don't lose in the first round. You better not. You better hope it doesn't happen. It's like they have a whole, it's like. Uh, so when I was in event marketing, uh, no event management class, low, we learned no matter how ridiculous a situation looks, you always have to plan for contingencies. If it's raining on this day, or if it's hailing on this day, what's going to happen with the event since it's outdoors? Is this you got to plan this, this, and this? You got to look everything over. The Cavaliers fans, I mean, not the Cavs fans, LeBron fans do the same thing. 
No matter what happens, there was a contingency. Oh, we're going to sweep the Pacers. What? We lost the game in five. Wait, we lost two? Hey, make it in six. Yo, they actually cheated there because this call was wrong and that call was wrong and this should have, and that could have, and that wasn't a goaltending, but LeBron didn't step out of bounds there. The, The excuses never end. And this podcast won't end the excuses. I don't expect it to stop anytime soon, of course. But it's, I always find it hilarious that anytime one excuse gets proved wrong, because, like, for example, Lo, LeBron never gets bounced in the first round. The second he gets bounced in the first round, Lo, gonna be we're going to find a new another, excuse. Whole another excuse. I already know it. I already know what the excuse is going to be, too. I already know what the excuse yeah. is going to be. I already know it. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. They got contingencies also, um, for everything, it seems. Lo, did we, I think, did we uh, miss a series? Uh, Golden State beat the Pelicans, obviously. Right? Is that obvious to you? Yeah, at least in game one. Yeah, that's that's pretty obvious. Uh, I think right. I think the Curry's not back yet, but they did say uh, Steve Curry said he's expecting Curry to be back for game two. Yeah, expecting. Yep, yep. Um, and I think I guess I guess the 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 two things that we didn't really touch upon is what do you think um, Milwaukee's going to do with Jabari next year, and what do you think um, Playoff P is going to do in the in the off season? I guess it's off season. I guess uh, it's off season. P now. I, I really don't care what happens to Jabari, but Paul George. Actually, I, there's no way to predict what he's gonna do. What the only thing he said is that uh, he would love to come back to OKC, but he's not. He's not like it's too early to think about free agency. I think those were the. Exact and you believe what he says too. I mean, that's what it is. he has to say. That he's not that's gonna say. Saying. I don't really know how I feel about OKC. <laughs> you know, but. Uh, if Melo is going to take the $28 million, who would not? Like, he won't even get... He would. Do you think he would get offered half of that from another nope. team? I don't think so. Nope. So, he's going to take that, obviously. I wouldn't want to put $14 million. Like, you know, Steve Nash got the hustle money late in his career where he just played one last game to be eligible to take home the $10 mil when he was with the Lakers. Hey, uh, Melo's going to take all he can. Go ahead, get the bag. Secure the bag. And if my name is Paul George and there's not some sort of coaching change or change to the offense like we've seen on other teams over the years, then I don't know if I would want to be there. Because what is Paul George's goal? There's two things you want to do. You want to make money and win championships, right? And, of course, winning championships is part of uh, improving your legacy. If you're not making money because you're on a team where Westbrook and Carmel Anthony are getting paid so much and... And now, like, you know, you're not even getting that big check you would have got if you stayed with the Pacers. The next big thing is you got to go for a championship. And if, if, if this year is any indication, man, OKC is not in a position to win a championship. So I would, I would leave if I was him. The real question is, like, at that point, what team? And he is from L.A., and a lot of people are saying they have max room. So not only can he potentially go for a championship with L.A., but he would get the most amount of money. So it might make sense to go there. But it depends. I'm sure teams are going to pitch him some really good offers, man. You know, any team in Texas or Florida, no state tax. So he'll be saving millions of dollars alone on top of likely you, being you know, offered you, max. You know how, I don't know what y'all call it in, in, um, in Canada, but we call it the IRS. You know how I know the IRS is really after you? Because every single time we talk about what? someone going somewhere for agency, you always bring up California and Texas. Oh, because it's important. They don't, Nobody they, talks they don't, about it. Because they don't have any taxes. No. Yo, I had only, to. Only I had you to. say that. When the last time someone's actually gone to uh, Texas and Cali? I mean, Texas and Florida. Okay, but take this in. It's literally, if you're, if, if you're Curry and you got a $200 million deal, it is the difference of like $20 million, though. 
Just being I able get to. That, but when is, when is the last time someone's done that? Like I think Chris Paul's the last time someone actually just went out their way. Chris Paul and Lamarcus. That's it. What do you mean to go to a Texas go team to a or Texas a Florida, or Florida team? team? Yeah. I mean, those aren't the only states. Those are just the ones off the top of my head. There's plenty of states where there's no state tax. I don't know if there's plenty of states that have basketball teams. I don't know about that. Well, I don't. I don't know the number because I'm not. I'm from Canada. I just know, bro. I went to the bank a few days ago, low. And them, 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 them alphabet to, boys after you, right? They, they getting that money, right? Yo, yo. Not only did they audit me for 15 and 16, but they're definitely gonna audit me this year. And I'm like, yo, leave me alone, man. I just, I paid, I gave you all the money, you know? And that's part of the reason why I, I really got to move to, literally, I'm planning on moving to either Houston or LA. What a face. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking to an immigration lawyer now as we speak. Wow. This uh, guy. Anyway. This man, hey, he's trying to flee the country. He's trying to do tax evasion. No, I'm nah, always thinking nah, to you're trying, trying to just... tax evade. You're trying to flee the country, yo. That's what I'm talking Hello, about. come on. I already paid it, that's man. I'm, hey, that's that what crazy. I'm talking about. Agent, you in your bag. I hear you. I yo, see you. Yo, they... <laughs> I see you, Agent. I see you. Why? Let me, oh, let, me, let, me not, let me not speak too loud. Let me... Shh. You right. You right. Keep it on the hush. Low, relax, man. No, you right, you They're right. going to audit me no, anyway. Right. There's shh. no... Shh. No, no, no. no. You're right. You're right. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. You're right. There's no way you get audited two years straight and they just leave you alone for the Yo. third year, especially considering. Yo, agent, agent, agent anyway. is sending me Skype Skype messages right now telling me to shut up. Bro. I, I didn't send him any messages. You're right, my bad. My but bad. I, I'm bugging. I'm bugging. I'm bugging. You're right. You're right. I'm bugging. I'm bugging. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I have been getting emails, Lo. Uh, people, a couple of people tweeted at me saying, Lo, uh, I mean, agent, nobody in the age 14 to 18 uses email, but you'd be surprised man uh, if you guys want to remind me that legend of winning indeed knows nothing about basketball feel free to email call me agent zero zero at gmail.com i'm not going to respond but i will take a screenshot as evidence in 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 the case that low decides to public his dm <laughs> i will have a whole slew of emails i will have emails Look, I'll, so there's I'll, that. I'll say this man um a lot of stuff that happened in the playoffs it, my gut feeling was telling me one thing but i just i just I had a lot of respect for some of the players, and I thought they were going to be able to pull it off, but they didn't do it. And so I, I just know now, moving forward, that I'm not going to sit here and, and and try to finagle or try to bend my own opinions or my view on basketball just to respect or out of respect for some of these players. I'm gonna just tell it how it is. Um, but the way, but OKC shouldn't shouldn't have lost. That's that's ridiculous. But uh, uh, they should have. They were the worst no. team all year. Like you just sat there and said, like, just like just like you just sat there and said, how you're a worst team where you got outplayed. They got outplayed, bro. They got outplayed. But they've been getting outplayed all year. That's what I'm saying. Mm, <laughs> I mean, they, what, they almost had like 50 wins. I don't know how to like what 47. Man, if Gobert doesn't get Defensive Player of the Year, I'm yeah, Gobert I, definitely I to Gobert be a fan needs of the NBA. Defensive Player of the Year because that's that's that fairly is, that's extremely is. obvious. Oh, this this is the question I'm uh-huh. going to ask you. Does LeBron make his teammates better? He does. Uh, I don't think he does. There was a statistic. I don't, think he does. I don't know if he did this year, but there was a statistic I seen in the playoffs last year where it basically proved LeBron had Hall of Fame dimer. Uh, they counted the amount of times, uh, like for example, they would take Corver's three point percentage when he got a pass from LeBron versus when he got a pass from everybody else, and LeBron always had an increase in like five six percent. You know, you'd think that the badge in two K makes no sense because it's not realistic. But across the board, the whole team was playing better because of LeBron. If you're all-time great in any sport, you do make your teammates better just by virtue of being a Madden. Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say this. Manning I'll say this. did it. Does he make his teammates as 
And does he make his teammates better as much as people make it out to be? Because I don't think he does. I think, I think, I don't think people argue they make his teammates. I think they argue he does it all himself. But see, that's the part what I'm saying. If he does it all by himself, that means that that players are not developing or getting better around him. And if anything, they're plateauing or they're regressing as players. They might be improving as players. They just don't ever get a chance to prove it because their field goal attempts are always so limited. But that's what I'm saying. Same guy shooting. There's no rhyme or reason why Kevin Love is playing this bad outside the fact that he's been regulated to be a three-point shooter because LeBron... He's also coming off of injury. I mean, don't forget that. Was it a hand injury, right? It was a hand injury, but I, I still don't think he would have been that big. I just Because Kevin Love has been this player almost every playoff, almost every year in the playoffs since he's been in Cleveland, where he's just been, massive, he's been um, massively um, inconsistent, right? Nah, nah. In the year where the Raptors played the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, I know he played really well because both him and Channing Fire were dropping okay, I mean, he, the all right, let me, all right, let me take it back. Okay, okay. He might have rounds here and there, but for the most part, like if you just look at his total postseason numbers, but that's all you need, Lo. Like, no, no, like, no. Do you no, see the Houston no, Rockets no. and their formula? All they really need is like four guys to step up per game. That works though. Even even that what you're talking about, I think about, it does. I don't think it works. That's what the Raptors do the same thing. Golden State, like Draymond had a, a no, series no, of no, bad no, no, games no, that's in not, the first no, no. round. What I mean is, I don't think the whole format of having an individual just hold the ball and create for everyone and just pray and hope that you have one good game and the next game you'll have one good game and it will kind of just balance everything out. I don't think that works. I think that's a huge reason why Steve Nash won, never won a championship. And, and on top of that, you and, mean, and on top I mean, of that, he's not that good. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, come on. You don't have to throw shade at Steve Nash every time. Please. I agree. I mean, I, but that's different. I think Steve Nash was living in a different time than we are now. Like, uh, what? Just, if you ever, I mean, he, he was playing in a different, did I say living? He was playing in a different era in terms of basketball. Just what Golden State has been able to accomplish in the last five years has drastically changed the way a lot of teams approach basketball. But you don't, but so you don't have not to only turn that, Kevin Love into a spot-up shooter, though. He did the same thing to Chris Bosh, even but though that, Chris Bosh never shot but, an insane percentage. But that's percentage. what I'm saying, though, is that players are not getting better playing with LeBron. They're just, I mean, they're just plateauing or they're becoming worse. Because I don't, like, the fact that Ronnie Hood is playing this bad and Clarkson and like all those, all these players should not be playing that bad or, unless LeBron just doesn't make them better players. And I, and I don't think he's doing it purposely. I just think that the system that is give LeBron the ball and let him just create for everybody else, I think that hurts players more than it helps them. Yeah. Weirdly enough, uh, as high as Harden's usage rating is, and sometimes like he just completely misses people because he's only looking for his shot, the team plays better when he's there. And I don't know. There's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors that go into it. It'd be neat to see someone do some sort of objective analysis I, as to why that's the I case. Think, I think that's different in the sense of they they purposely have personnel on the floor that all they do is just shoot threes and play defense, right? Like Trevor Reza isn't going to be handling the ball, trying to penetrate or do all the other stuff that Jordan Clarkston it can do, right? And Ryan Anderson isn't posting up grabbing rebounds the same way we saw Kevin Love with Minnesota. But those are players that are on LeBron's team that have the ability to be more multidimensional than just catch and shoot in the three, in a corner three type of players. But when you play with LeBron, I don't know. I just, that's, that's the part of LeBron's career that's just, 
Interesting. Maybe they don't have the right personnel, man. No, they have the right personnel. I just, I just feel like it's, I feel like the system that LeBron functions in, it allows certain players to get away with, not even really allow them, it forces players really to play a certain way that end up changing their game, their, their playing style and, and to fit the game plan that is, again, the, the, the game plan of LeBron, which is just, again, give LeBron the ball, let him create the offense for everyone and just stand in the corner and space out the floor for him. Despite the fact that, again, Kevin Love should be... Kevin Love at this stage of his career is 29 years old. He should be in his prime. But all we know of Kevin Love is he's a guy that stands in the corner. He's regulated to just shooting threes. Like, Kevin Love should be a post-up player, face-up game, knocking threes downs every now and then. Ain't no post-up player playing with LeBron, man. But see, but that's, <laughs> but that's, that's my problem. That's what I'm saying. That there can't be anybody else who can function within the rain, within the paint because LeBron is on the floor. Like the fact that LeBron hasn't he's not the one who's been forced to change the better his team is kinda suspect in my opinion. I actually at this point want LeBron to leave the Cavaliers. Just so we can get rid of the argument that if LeBron leaves, that team is gonna be a fifteen win team. If LeBron leaves, that team will win 40-plus games. And depending on the level of competition, whenever that is in the Eastern Conference, would likely make the playoffs. Who was the lowest team? Were they 41 or 42 wins this year? No, it was higher than that, right? It was 44. 45, something like that. 44. Yeah, so there's no teams under 500. Uh, The team has a lot of guys. I just don't know if they fit well together. Or maybe they just lack the chemistry because they added so many moving new parts uh, late into the season. But we'll never know, man, uh, at that point. We'll just we'll leave the, the guys to make the excuses and the results to speak for I, I don't, themselves. I don't, I don't that? think that's it. I, just, I sincerely believe when you add players like um, Jeff Green, Clarkson, Rodney Hood, they're not sharp shooters where they can just stand in the corner and not touch the ball for five, six, seven, eight consecutive possessions. And just expect them to just get the ball in their hand and just shoot and make it at the same rate as a Kyle Corver, right? Cause like players like Kyle Corver and Steve Kerr, those players can just come off the bench and not play for extended periods of times and still go on the floor and be extremely efficient. But like Rodney Hood is definitely like a, a rhythm, especially um Clarkson as well. Both of them are like rhythm shooters. Like they have to get a rhythm. They have to touch the ball. They have to be involved in the offense before they can start really knocking in the shots and be effective. But when you're running an offense that's with LeBron on the floor, that doesn't really happen. And I think that's, I think, I don't know, I'm just shooting, I'm just shooting shit right now. But I'm just, I, I just think that's a huge problem in the, with LeBron's career. But Russell Westbrook is also trash yeah. too, so, you know. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm seeing all this Mac people are talking. I'm just looking at the statistics. Yo, this dude Corver is still performing lights out. I keep hearing people say like, even he's not shooting well. But the Corver, stats are Cor- saying Corver different. has literally missed. Um, I mean, not, not literally missed. He he is sixteen. He has made he's made sixteen shots this series. Fifteen of those sixteen shots are three pointers. Like they're literally that's ridiculous. Only that's what I'm saying. He's shots. basically only taking three point shots. <laughs> Yeah, and the fact that he's shooting forty three percent from behind the arc, I mean that's I mean that he's he's, he's well, taking nothing but three point shots. We'll have to revisit this after uh, Sunday. Oh, oh my God, I might miss the game because of my flight. Wow, no, 
Fuck. I might have to get some uh, on airplane Wi-Fi, bro. I can. I have. I have no other options. I can't miss this game seven. We'll have to revisit this afterwards, though, because let me find out. LeBron loses in the first round. That's gonna change a lot of things, man. Especially to the Pacers, the predicted thirty-win team. No real reason for that. Shout out to the Pacers, though. Like a lot of people are criticizing the Cavs, but man, have they been just? I mean, aside from Oladipo shooting two for fifteen uh, in the game, where if he just played a little bit better, they would have been already closed out the series. Yo, the Pacer team is really showing out, man. I said it from the start. I know, I, I know, my prediction is still Cavs and seven, but I'm really hoping Oladipo can prove me wrong, man. Yep. Shout out to Oladipo. Like I said, man. Um, if they win, man. I'm gonna be on his. So I'm let's be on his nuts all summer. Oh, stop! All summer that. eighteen. Let's do it. all summer eighteen. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's please stop. I'll, let's let's do our highlight players, man. My my highlight players are gonna be Pascal Siakam, oh power forward for the Toronto Raptors, man. Youngin, bro, came out the D League, just been performing fantastic, and weirdly enough, lo has been ding up John Wall. He is a big man. It is fantastic, this guy's athleticism. Crafty around the rim. He doesn't do too much statistically ever. But anytime you see him on the court and he switches on to John Waller, he is always willing to take the matchup, man. It's been the difference. John Wall's been struggling all series. I think that's part of the reason why the Raptors uh, were able to come away. Uh, so I, he needs some respect. Nobody really even talks. Most people probably don't even know who he is, man. But Pascal Siakam is a beast. And he's a pretty decent three-point shooter, too, which helps a lot. Um. My highlight player, I think I'm, to me it's fairly obvious, Donovan Mitchell, man. Donovan Mitchell, rookie, put the team on his back offensively and um, had moments in that in that series that was just amazing. It was amazing to watch him play, and I think this is going to be the start of something extremely special. Um, and then also, I mean, obviously I said this before, but Ben Simmons and, 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 uh, and Beat is in that same conversation as well. But closing out a series that featured – Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony on the opposing team. And he, he and in my opinion, he played better than all three of them. And so that's that's extremely impressive. I know you Westbrook fans are gonna be like, oh my god, how many assists did he have? Shut the fuck up. He played better than Westbrook. You know what? Also shout out to Joe Inglis when Ricky Rubio it's, went uh, down. It's, it's Joe it's Joe Ingles as a sign. You keep saying Ingles, it's Ingles. Ingles. It's Ingles, man. People keep trying it's not Nestle, it's Nestle. You're not gonna correct, bro. It's, me, we right? talking about somebody's name. It's listen. If if it's Jolin, if, if Charles Barkley can consistently say Valence Yunus instead of Valanciunas, then I could say Ingles. All right. No. He was playing point guard, and it was so clear to me that he has never played point guard. <laughs> but he, but he, but he still knew though. He still knew. He, he still IQ. knew enough to get to where he needed to get to and to. Probe yes, into the defense, yes, yes. That's, and that's really all he needed to do. Because there was definitely moments where he was fumbling the ball, and I was like, eh, "I don't know about this, Quinn Snyder. I don't know. I don't know." But it, as long as he was able to probe in far enough to make the pass, that's all he had to do, and it worked every time. That was crazy. It was because if 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 Mitchell was the one to run point guard, it would have fundamentally changed everything about their offense. Because he's a top scorer, and now you got him at the point guard role. And Ingles, Inglis, Ingles said he's going to pick the ball up and run point. And so Donovan Mitchell could still play off ball. And he was still hitting his... Man, if I've ever seen an underrated player, man, 
Chris Middleton and Inglis Sose have been They're playing so fantastic, stupid. and nobody is respecting these two players. They're not the best players on their own team, but they just do the job so well, and it's never talked about. Shout out to Middle, uh, uh, Chris Middleton. Uh, I kept. I remember. I kept. I always used to get Middleton's name confused. I used to call him. Uh, what's that princess's name? Or what's her name? The queen. The Eng- uh, you know. I have no about? idea what you're talking about right now. I always used to get it confused back in the day. Shout out to those two players, man. They make me happy, yo. It's the players you really want on your team. The guys that perform, whether the star on your team is going to do that or not. And you know what's so crazy, too, bro? Uh, I'm looking at the numbers right now from them, bro. Everybody just, everybody played well, bro. They stepped up. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, On that note, man, I got a flight to catch in a couple hours. I'm doing one of those flights like I did in New York last month. Where I'm literally flying somewhere, I'm in and out in the day. No questions asked. I'm not paying for no hotel. I'm just, it's just straight business, and I'm out. You know, I'm back in Toronto. Yo, Toronto is the most beautiful city when it is warm and summer out. My goodness. It's, it's actually been warm. Like, t-shirt weather for last week has been fantastic. On that note, for the face, uh, thank that you guys was so pointless. for listening to the Backcourt Violation Podcast, a.k.a. the Off Top Podcast, a.k.a. I'm going to blame everybody for my team losing podcast. I think that was the name. Uh, This has been a good one. We definitely talked. We talked so much about OKC. I thought this podcast was going to be three hours. But it wasn't. And it's still one for you. It's a lot. Thank you guys for listening, man. Drop a five star on iTunes and all the different platforms you guys are listening on. Thanks for showing love. Uh, the podcast has been growing a lot. Facto. It's fantastic to see. Any any last words, Lo? Um... Uh, shout out to like you, just shout out to everybody and uh, peace. Nah, peace. I did it. I shouldn't have handed you that. I shouldn't have it's handed done you already, that. It's done already, bro. It's done. Honey, in here. Oh, you painted the ceiling. Yep. Blue. Feels so much less cooped up, right? I guess. What's the yellow paint for? Well, the floor needs a double line, otherwise it's chaos. Can you hand me that yield sign? It's hard to be without your bike. So do something easy and protect it with Progressive Motorcycle Insurance. With basic policies as low as $75 a year, you'll be back on the road in no time. Visit Progressive.com to quote today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.